Are you getting pressure from finance to justify or reduce your cloud bill? CloudZero is the only cloud cost platform loved by engineers and trusted by finance. CloudZero can identify unused, idle, or over-provisioned resources, alert you to spend anomalies, and organize 100% of your spend into a framework that mirrors your business structure, like cost per customer, product feature, or team. It's the most powerful platform ever built to provide accurate, granular visibility into your total cloud spend without the typical pitfalls of legacy cloud cost management tools like endless tagging or clunky Kubernetes support. Manage cost, optimize development, and maximize profit all in one platform. Join companies like Rapid7, Drift, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com slash cloudcast to get started. That's cloudzero.com slash cloudcast. Visit today to experience immediate and ongoing savings on your cloud bill. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to The Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. It is Aaron for the first time in 2024 for the introduction here. I had to uh, take a couple weeks off. I needed some rest. I had some things going on, but really excited and really looking forward to 2024. For today's show, uh, we've got Brendan Richard back from Software Defined Talk. And Brandon and Brian talk about AWS and Azure. And when they're talking about this, of course, number one, number two in the, the big hyperscalers and public cloud space. But it also reminds me of anybody who's uh, familiar with the book Play Bigger. And if you're not, I certainly highly recommend it. But the quick summary of it is in any market, and let's say in this case, public clouds, there's always going to be a category king. And then there might be room for one other as well. And But once there is a solid one and two, what happens to all the rest? Um, well, they quite frankly are going to struggle to ever dominate and be one or two once those markets have really kind of solidified somewhat. And I think that's what we're going on here. So it's perfectly reasonable then to take that and start to compare and contrast those. Let's compare and contrast AWS versus Azure, talk about the differences between them, and also look into the crystal ball just a little bit and what might change over the next three to five years. And so we're going to be doing that, and that's going to come up right after the break. Transform your business with Microsoft Azure, the one-stop shop for everything cloud and AI. With Azure Migrate and Modernize, move your existing workloads to Azure with ease. With Azure Innovate, build new solutions with focused and deep engagement. Their core offerings provide comprehensive resources, expert assistance, and cost optimization tools. Accelerate your cloud journey and stay ahead of the competition with Microsoft Azure. Visit aka.ms slash Azure Hero Offerings to learn more. That's aka.ms slash Azure Hero Offerings to learn more. And we're back. And folks, as I uh, mentioned, I think a week or so ago on one of the shows, I mentioned that, uh, you know, Aaron and I uh, had some unexpected stuff happen here in uh, in January. And while we're still going to get the shows out, uh, there may be some uh, some weirdness from time to time where you listen to the show and you're like, why are they talking about that thing? Did that happen like a week ago? Or are they talking in the future? So we may cover a little bit on this show. Um, but uh, excited to have uh, Brandon Wichard back with us again today. Brandon, thank you again for uh, for helping out and filling in for Aaron. Good to have you back. Thanks again for having me. Always well, always excited to be back on the show. We are uh, we're recording this one a little bit early uh, of, of when it'll be published. Um, in in our world, you and I are both 
massive, massive sports fans. And for anybody, and this, this will only apply for parts of the world and mostly parts of, of, of United States. Uh, one of the legendary coaches of college football retired today, Nick Saban retired. And you and I have talked about this offline about, uh, you know, what happens when, you know, a legendary leader uh, decides to leave and the person that comes after them. And so, you know, in the sports world, there will be lots of speculation as to who will take this job. He's been, you know, the most famous, most successful over the last 15, 20 years. Uh, my question to you is, what do you think, who do you think are, you know, the three or four jobs, the three or four leaders in the tech world that under no circumstance, if you were, you know, if you had gotten a phone call for it, that you would take the job? Because we've always said, like, you really don't want that job, even though it seems awesome, right? You know, being the replacement for Andy Jassy at AWS or being the replacement for Bill Gates at Microsoft. But like, what do you think in today's world are the jobs that if somebody called you and said, Brandon, we think you're the person, we, we want you to step up and take this role that you'd be like, yeah, no, too big, too big of shoes to fill. That, that person is, uh, you know, I, I want to see somebody else fail first and then I'll come in and fix it. <laughs> well, that's a very good question. There's probably a bunch of uh, examples out there, but right now, I mean, I think the ones that jump out to me would either be um, the NVIDIA CEO, right? Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. that company <laughs> has tripled its value. And uh, I think it's Jensen Wong. Jensen Wong, yeah. Walk, walk a mile but, in my leather jacket. Try right. It. I mean, that leather jacket, it's like, I mean, no one could, I think, replace him both from, you know, kind of the the passion, the technology and the success he's recently had, which is funny because this is a few years ago. Um, you probably could have replaced him kind of yeah. quietly right before right, right. that. And then more recently, maybe, you know, directly related to uh, this would probably be um, the CEO of Microsoft, right? Uh, so, uh, uh, yes, Nadella, yes, because yeah. he, he's had uh, such a great run. But, you know, as you were kind of talking there, it was kind of interesting because I was thinking to myself, well, what are the big CEO replacements we've seen recently? And I think obviously um, Jassy replacing Jeff Bezos, right? I mean, right. that was, that was probably huge. I don't know. I mean, seems like he's navigating it okay, but there's been a lot of hiccups, right? And I think Celebsky, we've talked a little bit about that, uh, I guess on my other show, Software Defined Talk, around how hard that was. I think Celebsky is, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. I don't, that, yeah. I don't know if he's lived up to the hype of Jassy, nor do I think anyone uh, could have. And then, you know, probably the hardest one of them all, and maybe the model, if someone, if I was forced to take a job, would be uh, Tim Cook replacing Steve Jobs. And I think the way he has been successful is to tell everyone I am the anti Steve Jobs, right? Whereas Steve right. Jobs was the product visionary. Tim Cook is like, I am the financial people and I'm going to um, keep the ship running with a whole bunch of people behind the scenes doing a lot of the stuff what Steve did before. So maybe that's the lesson is that if you do find yourself taking one of these jobs, tamper down expectations and immediately embrace that you're not the, the same person. Like you, right. you're right. not even going to try. And so maybe uh, to your point, the future coach at uh, Alabama, that's probably the first thing they need to do is like, I'm not Nick Saban and don't even, you know, don't even pretend to be. Right. Right. Well, and the, and the, and the problem, the problem with the problem with sports on like uh, technology is like you could be Tim Cook and come in and say, look, uh, my skill is not in, you know, being the most charismatic person in the world or pretending that I invented all the ideas. Like I am a unbelievable operator of businesses. And at the end of the day, um, you know, as long as they're making money, people then don't necessarily care. Whereas like in football coach, you know, you can say like, Hey, I'm not going to be Nick Saban. They're like, look, all that guy did was win. And so I don't care. I don't care if you're a disciplinarian, not a disciplinarian. Uh, all we're going to care about is a scoreboard at the end of the game. So yeah, that one's going to be, it, it's, I think back like in my career, None of us could ever figure out who would ever replace John Chambers, who was the longtime CEO of Cisco, kind of the, mm -hmm. the original Pied Piper of the internet. That one has been uh, 
like nobody ever talks about Chuck Robbins, who's their new CEO. Nice guy. I actually knew him way back in the day when he was like a regional sales guy, but, uh, you know, nobody ever talks about him. Um, you know, I mean, Microsoft went from Balmer to, or, you know, Gates to Balmer and Balmer made a lot of noise, but I don't think anybody thought he was great, uh, necessarily, but again, different kind of guy. So yeah, it, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully some of you will rise to the ranks of getting, uh, to be the replacement of some legendary CEO, but, uh, tough job, very, very tough job to do. Well, listen, uh, the other thing I want to do today, um, in the sort of the same vein, uh, we, we just finished, um, college football season here in the United States. So for those of you that aren't college football fans, don't worry about it. It's just a major sport. Uh, at the end of the major sport, they have playoffs. So hence the best teams play each other and somebody becomes the champion. And so in that same vein, I thought maybe we would do something a little different. We've never done this on the podcast before. And so I'm trying it out with you. I'll let, uh, I'll let you take the, the slings and arrows instead of Aaron. Uh, but, Fantastic. Uh, I thought it might be interesting for us to do sort of a comparison of AWS and Azure as as sort of titans of the cloud world. Um, And the reason I do that is I feel like to a certain extent, um, you know, depending on what metrics you look at, maybe outside of just revenue, um, for a long time it was AWS was one and far and away number one, you know, way up in the top right corner of Gartner's Magic Quadrant, making the most money. And, And I feel like over the last three or four or five years, um, and maybe even, you know, with some of the CEO transitions and stuff, people think of them as sort of one and one a these days. So let me, let me start there with that premise. Um, do you, do you buy into that, that it feels like they are much, much closer than they were three or four years ago? And, and, you know, we may in any given year, see, see sort of the, the number one versus number two flip-flop. I think for sure it's much, much closer than it's been ever before. And I think, you know, to kind of understand why, I think we got to look back a little bit at history. And I, I actually tried to do a little bit of research for this one. And I looked at the uh, 2023 uh, Stack Overflow Development Survey. And what you'll find, I think, is kind of an interesting story. So if you go down and look at the cloud part of it, basically it says 48% of uh, the people surveyed are going to use Amazon Web Services with Microsoft, you know, at 26 and Google Cloud at 23%, right? And so, what I think that kind of shows and where I think kind of the history here is AWS really comes out of the infrastructure. At the end of the day, I think of it really as a core infrastructure as a service business. And it's if you, they've done a great job with storage, networking, compute, databases, and they have all of that together to the point that they are the dominant, if you will, part of that, uh, that part of the stack. Now, what is interesting, though, is you go down in the survey and you look at a couple other questions, like what are the most popular frameworks, right, for the application developers are using? What do you see? You see .NET and the .NET framework together. Those make up, you know, roughly 40% of the market. And then you go down and you ask, well, what are developers using uh, to develop IDEs, right? Visual Studio Code, Visual Studio those make up you know, Visual Studio Code alone is 73%, right? And then yep, you look yep. at um, what are developers using for their preferred LLM, right? And we talked about this on one of our previous shows. ChatGPT is dominant with an 83% uh, 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 usage rate there. And then finally, you get like, what is the code completion tools are being used? And you get GitHub Copilot, so 54%. So if you kind of think of it, it's like, Microsoft really dominates in the developer side. So if you think of it sort of like that's their history. They started in the developer side, kind of missed out on infrastructure as a service, but they've been kind of working, if you will, down the stack 
and you know, kind of, and then infra, and then AWS, just the opposite, right? They really dominate the infrastructure, and they've sort of been trying to work up the stack. And you know, kind of back to the sports metaphor, you can almost think of it as like any sport you pick. Like, there's usually clashing style. One right. plays defense, one plays offense, or you know, pick your favorite uh, sport. And I think that's what we're seeing here, right? Is that these two giants have natural advantages. And they've kind of grown in their independent markets for a while, but now they're really starting to grow together. And I think the next five years is going to be a battle between those two who can, if you will, you know, do enough to kind of, if you will, take over the section they don't own while also simultaneously building up the features and functions that their competitor has. Right, right. Yeah, no, and I think that's, I think that's a great analysis. I think it, it also very much aligns to um, something that people people used to follow a lot. I don't know if they follow as much anymore, but uh, you know, Gartner always would put out a magic quadrant of of the cloud providers. They now sort of call it uh, what do they call it now? Like um, quadrant for strategic cloud platform services. So you know, they're, they're selling more magic quadrants, but basically the one that uh, you know that AWS would always point out, and they would say, "Hey, that's us way up to the top right corner." And if you look at it now, uh, you know, AWS is still in the top right corner of the leader. I think they call it the leader quadrant. But Microsoft is much, much closer. Uh, Google is actually somewhat closer. Um, you know, so and I think the, you know, if you read through, they basically, uh, we put a link in the show notes, you know, they, they point out sort of their interpretation of the pros of AWS and Azure and sort of the cons of it. And I think it, it basically aligns to what you said. It's is AWS is very good at infrastructure. Um, you know, they're, they're very good at stability and, you know, while Amazon or Azure is catching up in those areas, they are far and away, or at least, you know, for the most part ahead in, in developer services and, and things to, to help people build stuff and so forth. So it's, it's interesting to see that, you know, their, their revenue numbers are getting closer together, but like you said, they're, they're approaching it from, from different places and it'll be, it'll be interesting to see over the next, you know, four or five years, like, do they just sort of meet in the middle? Does does you know do, does one take over the other? I mean, infrastructure traditionally has commoditized faster than software, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, you you get a chance, you know, and I, I don't want to put you on the spot for things, but you get a chance to talk to a lot of companies that that evaluate both of them. I mean, do you see do you see trends of of people? You know, maybe you know, five or six years ago, it was sort of like it was AWS or or nothing else. Do you see people? kind of doing real in-depth evaluations of both of them? Do they sort of, uh, do you see more people sort of go, well, we had a relationship with Microsoft because of, you know, desktop stuff. And so we're going there or like, are you seeing certain general trends that have shifted uh, in, in how people evaluate one or the other? Well, I think for sure. I mean, you definitely see a lot of bake-offs between AWS and Microsoft by, you know, kind of my day job. That's what most of the companies are moving to the cloud. That's kind of what they're walking in. They're comparing one or the other, or they've made a choice already for some other reason. Like they've decided not to use AWS because they feel like that's a competitive business, or they've decided not to use Microsoft because, you know, they feel like AWS is dominant and everyone knows that, right? So those are by far and away the two that I see most of the time. Now, you know, we kind of tell the story and I think it's, you can sense like the frustration from AWS, right? In the sense of like, just what we did there, just what I said is like, Microsoft's really coming, right? And, you know, the frustration is the the business is probably about double, right? Like AWS is approaching a hundred billion dollar run rate. You know, even if we add everything Microsoft together, right? It's, you know, it's probably 50, a little bit right, less right. than half. And, you know, the thing about this, right, is that I, I kind of look at it like AWS is this business is going nowhere. I mean, this business is still absolutely fantastic. And I think one of the reasons um, is is very boring is that 
everyone wants to migrate to the cloud or move to the cloud. Um, but in like, we like to talk about containers and, you know, cloud native services and, you know, you and I, and our jobs, we talk about that all the time, but like still the vast majority of it is, you know, people like to call it lift and shift, but like, I, I like, you know, I'm going to be a little pedantic here. It's sort of like rehost and replatform. So rehost is just like, let me just take the VMs I'm running today and move them to the cloud. Replatforms. Let me like build some better images before I actually, you know, put all this stuff up there. And the vast majority of workloads, I'm talking about like you know, Fortune 500 and those type of companies. That's what's really happening. Like when I look at like what I actually see, that's what people are doing. Yes, everyone wants to modernize. Yes, I've given that pitch. You're giving that pitch. Every vendor is giving that pitch, but it is very, very difficult. So when you look at like, if you just want to get stuff going and you want to like get it migrated, like you really just need really good infrastructure to get that, to, to make that work. And that's where I think AWS, a huge advantage, huge revenue. It's not super sexy though, right? It's not that exciting to talk about. Like if I was come right. on here and be like, let me explain how you move a, a VM from, from on-premise to uh, the cloud. You'd be like, this is really boring. Okay, now we click copy. And we just wait, you know, it's just a very boring conversation, but it's what most people do. And I think that's sort of like why this business is, you know, even people want to call it a commodity business, but like, sure, maybe it is, but like, it's still incredibly profitable. Um, And that's where I think, you know, there's the frustration from the AWS team is like, we're getting all of these things. Like we're doing this and we're making tons of money doing that, but you're not giving us credit for it. You know, you're not, you're all talking about open AI because that's sort of where the more interesting story is. So so I see it kind of both ways, right? I'm like, it's a very strong foundational business, but at the same time, it does not lend itself to the kind of story that Microsoft is telling. Right, right. Well, and it's, you know, they are running into, as much as they hate to hear it, you know, all the things that every, uh, you know, well-established vendor does on quote unquote day two. People start going, oh, well, what are you doing that's new? And you're like, well, you know, we're, we're optimizing for profitability. We're optimizing for efficiency. And you're like, yeah, but what what are you doing that's new? I always used to go to you, for being the new stuff company. You you always painted everybody else as old guard. You know, now you've sort of become the de facto standard. And uh, yeah, no, I, I can imagine, especially given all the the number of people that probably live in close proximity to each other up in Seattle and, and up in the Northwest <laughs> Corridor. Like I, I I suspect a lot of them wake up every morning and are are trying to figure out, well, did my did my neighbor leave before me to go to work? Or did their <laughs> light turn on faster? Am I am I getting ahead of them? Are they getting ahead of me? And yeah, I got to imagine there's some of that. I Are you seeing any, you know, it was interesting. We reached a point where, you know, the cloud was growing like crazy. Uh, this was, you know, several years ago, even pre-pandemic. And then both of them decided, hey, we're going to start putting out on-prem services, right? So Azure had Arc and um, AWS has, uh, ah, the name slips me, the, basically I ship you a rack of stuff. Um, you know what it is. Anyways, um, and I don't feel like either one of those have necessarily like gotten great traction. I, I hear more and more about uh, Arc being kind of a kind of a stepping stone to getting people onto Azure, but it, it seems to me it was weird that they made such a push to go, okay, maybe we maybe the funnel into the cloud is sort of slowed down a little bit, although you know the numbers at the time didn't really show it. But the 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 funnel of being like, well we're gonna go on premises and maybe that will kickstart some stuff or maybe those things weren't ever going to leave on-prem, so we're going to sort of drive that business. I feel like neither one of those initiatives have really, you know, kind of overwhelmed anybody or, you know, kind of whelmed, if you will. Uh, do you do you get any other sense that, like, their non-in-the-cloud activities are, are really bearing much fruit? 
Yeah, I think you're referring to like AWS Outpost, Outpost and then right. uh, uh, Azure Arc, right? You know, it's one of these things. Like, I think I think I kind of put it in the category of like it gets talked about a lot, kind of like almost the cloud native and this idea that like, oh, you know, we're gonna have some on the hybrid or some on premise and some in the cloud, and we can move between them. And it's cool technology. We've um, you know, I've seen a bunch of different proof of concepts, but like when it comes down to it, I just don't think, I, I think it's one of these things like it may eventually take off in this, it, but it is. And I think it's something that is, uh, someone that was going to buy any of these solutions. If you're a customer looking at these things, like you sort of want to have the option, right? Like you're like, yeah. it would be nice that I have this option, but at the same time, it's sort of kind of back to what I was saying before. It's like, people are just dealing with so much more basic problems. I'm like, Hey, where should I run? You know, these current applications I have in a cost effective way that I just don't feel like the customers are at a point where they can embrace in a, in a large scale can embrace kind of the, sof- the sophistication, right. Of, uh, like, you know, Oh, I'm going to have all of this working together and I'm going to use all this hybrid infrastructure. It's just a little too complicated. And so, so time will tell um, if it really ever comes to fruition. But I do think it's one of these things that when, you know, it's almost like kind of insurance, right? Like people would like to have the option if they need to keep things on premise, that at least there's a way they could do it if they need it. So it's more, if you will, I'm going to have that insurance policy, but I haven't seen a lot of people cash in on that insurance policy right. in day-to-day production. Yeah, it almost it almost feels like the thing where um, it, because the services that run on top of those things aren't, terribly broad. I mean, it's like, it's pretty basic infrastructure stuff and like a little bit of the, you know, database as a service or whatever it is. So it's not like, it's not like they're trying to jam, uh, you know, serverless with, you know, whatever the latest and greatest. It's just sort of like, it's like you said, yeah, it's just sort of VMs and infrastructure. It does feel a little bit like, um, if you've ever had to, to buy something and, you know, you go to like, you go to like your group admin and you're like, Hey, I got to buy this thing. Um, I don't really want to go through corporate purchasing. Can we use like the the credit card, you know, like the special card that you guys have that, you know, maybe goes up to $10,000 or something. And they're always like, yeah, yeah, but don't tell anybody. And you kind of get to be around the rule, you know, you kind of get to go around the rules, but if you want to do something that's like more serious, it's like, no, no, you're going to have to go through the burden of all the process Mm -hmm. and whatever it is. And I feel like to a certain extent, people probably look at the on-prem stuff that they're offering and they're like, yeah, but here's the thing. Mentally, if you bring that on prem, you get all the baggage that I have to deal with on prem. Like I'm, you know, I'm giving you the weird firewall rules and I'm giving you the weird outage windows. But like if we can just keep doing it in the cloud, kind of just slightly outside of people's view, we can do it with your rules. And I like I, I get the certain sense that people are like, I know you're bringing it on prem, but it's not really AWS. It's not really Azure. It's kind of this, you know, weird thing. And, you know, they they like the idea of being like, I can get out of this, this sort of handcuff situation I have on prem or. Yeah, for sure. I think you know, that's why people were moving anyway. It's like, right. I don't want to manage all this stuff. So I yeah, think the yeah, place yeah. you're going to see it is like, you know, data sovereignty, like somebody, yeah, some yeah. country or someplace where they're like, no, no, legally you have to have the rack in a data center that is in this country and you know where it is. So like, that's the place where it's a no brainer, right? Everywhere else it's like, I don't know. Do we really, you know, it's kind of back to like, do we really want this? So I, I think yeah. that's, I think it's a good observation. Yeah. Um, speaking of, have you seen a lot of POCs and a lot of evaluations and stuff? One thing that jumped out at me, um, and, and you and I talked about this before, I don't know if we talked about it on the show. Uh, Adam Slinsky had done a interview, I don't know, four months ago, sort of last fall. It was mostly about AI, but he was talking about, you know, kind of the AWS cloud as a whole. And he called out and he said, hey, you know, we are the most secure cloud, right? Like far and away, that's one of our differentiators. And, you know, I kind of listened to it and I was like, okay, yeah, you know, you don't, you don't hear too many outages. AWS still has the sort of, 
you know, um, you know, shared responsibility model that Azure does, where it's like up to this point, we kind of take care of it above this, you know, application level, you take care of it. I thought it was interesting that Gartner in almost no way called out AWS as being more secure. Um, so I'm curious, do you get the sense that, cause you've got some background in security. I know a lot of it in, in identity, but like, do you get the sense that people believe AWS is more secure or do you think there's just sort of a perspective that like maybe Azure has a few more outages or like maybe the infrastructure isn't as robust, but like, do you feel like people think like, oh, they're the, they're the less secure one, or is that even like a top three consideration between the two? I don't think so at this point. Like I, I know we were talking about when Slepsky, I think there was two things. He talked about security and then he talked about like the number of data centers, right? Yeah, and he, yeah. I think he wanted, he made some point like, you know, uh, I think, I think he lot. said 80, right? They right. have like 80 and he's like, our closest competition has 40, but, but what, and what, and which is interesting. It's sort of like, to me, I kind of read into like, this is frustration from, from right, AWS. Right. It's like, you don't understand how much more we've done and how much bigger we are. And it's like, but there's this idea of sort of like, you know, at some point it's like, you know, like anything in life, like, well, you know, as long as you have more than I need, like I'm good. Right. And I think right. that's what I find with both um, security as well as um, kind of just the overall capacity is like, yeah, Azure maybe only has half, but like, I have never heard any customer say like, oh, I'm worried about their capacity or uh, other than the GPS, let's say yeah, that, other, yeah, than yeah, the AI yeah. other than that, but just for running stuff, I, you know, that doesn't really come up as a concern and security. I mean, it's just hard to quantify, right? Like, you know, you know, I know in that same presentation slips, he was kind of giving us an lecture on like the VPCs and the security model. And I was like, yeah, like we, we know, right. It's like, um, and I think Azure has very similar type of security, um, capability. So it's, it's, I think for the average person, you know, it's even me. I feel like I'm close to it. And it's like, it'd be very difficult for me to tell you like, okay, here are the three reasons that like one is more secure than the other. And we really only learn about these things if there is either a big outage or there's some kind of big data leakage, which is obviously not great. But like, I don't, I think today, you know, the general market looks at that as, as pretty much parity, right? Now, maybe if you went further down, uh, and some of the smaller vendors, I think they're just kind of questioned because like, did they apply all the resources to it? But both Microsoft and, and, you know, Amazon general have huge security teams. They're working on this all the time. You know, I feel like, it, you know, if you ask a general, per, uh, general uh, person looking at this kind of stuff, they'd feel like they're pretty much at parity. Yeah. 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 And well, I'm, sure, and I'm sure I just, I, and I'm sure each one hates to hear that. Right. Like I'm oh, yeah. sure hopefully they will email you, Brian, telling yeah. why you specifically, why they have specific security features that we did not know about that you can do this specific thing. And it's not to like minimize that, but it's just sort of like, Hey, when you take it all in, it's very hard to, to make any type of like reasonable evaluation about what's different. Right. Right. Well, and if, and if they're upset, if, you know, product managers, are, they can send us, you know, show at the cloudcast.net. Uh, we'll, we'll more than happy to listen to it. But yeah, I think the other part of it is a, there, there is no, there's no easy metric to, to say like, Hey, we're more secure. We're less secure. Right. Like there's no, you know, Oh, they're a 99 rate. You know, it's like when you go to like a restaurant or I don't know if you guys have this in Texas, we have this in North Carolina, like you go to a restaurant and like the cleanliness thing is right by the door and you know that, Oh, it's really clean or it's not really clean. Like I feel like security just doesn't have a simple thing. So to say you're more secure, okay, cool. Um, the other thing is I, I think people are anybody who's been around the industry long enough and has heard enough security pitches and how you know the only way to be more secure is to have more security. Like you need more firewalls, you need more IDS, you need more whatever it is. They're just sort of like, okay, sure, but 
you know, we did 99.9% of those and then we forgot the one patch. So we are not secure. So yeah, I think it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing to, to measure, but I was curious. Yeah. If, if you had seen that. All right. Uh, when we wrap, wrap up, I got two more things real quick. We're going to kind of bang through these. Think of these as like uh, lightning rounds. Um, you and I have talked about this. We, we were, we did it on a show, you know, a month or so ago. Uh, AW, uh, AI, AI, uh, getting a lot of, a lot of buzz these days, sort of the, the, the talk of the town for AWS, for Azure, for, you know, open AI, for other things. Um, that's going to be a small portion for at least a little while of, of what people do, right? It's still, it's expensive. It's, you need data scientists. Do you think people are going to get swayed from wherever they are today because of the AI stories? Or do you just feel like it's, you know, it's, it's a checkbox somewhere like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe the data scientist t- team will care. But like, do you see major CIOs being like, we are shifting all of it in one direction or the other? I do think Microsoft's investment in uh, OpenAI and ChatGPT just in general at this moment is a significant advantage. And because I think what it comes down to, the choice is going to be pretty simple. AWS is sort of going to give you like, hey, here's every kind of model you could possibly want. Uh, Here's a whole bunch of things you could do. And what Microsoft's going to give you is like, no, we're giving you the best model. So it's kind of back to that developer versus infrastructure kind of yeah. thing. Right? And, it's, and at the moment, it ChatGPT, it is becoming a consumer brand, right? Like yeah. people even, you know, uh, as we think about other, you know, uh, Amazon Q right, was the other one. Uh, I think most people don't know what that is today. And Anthropic, right? Which I think we probably know, but I think most people don't know that one yeah. as well. And it's like, if at this pace, and listen, we should timestamp the show. Open AI could, you know, catastrophically do something tomorrow that kills the company. Nothing is beyond that. But at this moment, like that brand and that in that cycle is very hard to change once it gets going. So right, right. I do think you're gonna see CIOs say, like, well, yeah, we want to use the best model, and we believe Chat GPT is the best model for whatever reason. So I think that's a significant advantage for Microsoft. I know AWS will do everything in their power to uh, change that, but it's going to be a tough without another major misstep is going to be tough to compete in that area. Yeah. Now I think, uh, I would not be surprised if open AI changed their name to chat GPT. Um, just like you said, the brand is so strong. Um, I will be very interested to see when Amazon starts embedding some, somehow their AI services into their prime subscription, uh, in one way, (laughs) shape or form. I mean, they do it with everything else and people are like, Oh yeah, sure. I'll pay $5 extra for that. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's going to get a lot of talk. I think it'll be really interesting to sort of be sitting here at the end of the year and be like, how many people did you did you hear of that sort of you know made big decisions because of it? I think, um, I think it'll be it'll be a it'll be a top of the agenda item for a lot of meetings. But it'll be interesting to see if it if it uh, if it does it. All right, last question, real quick. Um, next three or four years, do you see anything you know outside of the AI thing? Uh, anything sort of flip-flopping the, you know, who's number one, who's number two? Um, right now, like you said, uh, AWS, by every measure that we have in just terms of purely revenue, um, seems to be ahead. Call it a third ahead, maybe 50% ahead. But could you see, like, you know, if Satya Nadella steps down, you know, could they go through a similar, you know, Jassy and, and Slipsky sort of thing? Do you see some other, uh, you know, government, uh, you know a big election happens or something and some government uh, rule happens. I mean, can you see them flip-flopping in the next three or four years or do you think we're further out before before the uh, the leaderboard changes? Yeah, I mean, kind of maybe starting where, ending where we started. I think, you know, if I'm signing Nadella, I think he spends another three to four years working hard as a CEO and I think he wants to get very close. I don't know if Azure will overtake it, but there will probably be some metric 
in three or four years that he can make the claim. Like if you add in, you know, this, this, and this, and maybe one thing we think is not cloud, they're going to say they're equal to AWS. And that's probably when he's, uh, if you will, ready to retire. Uh, and I think, you know, AWS is going, I still, you know, as I said at the beginning, huge growth in the infrastructure business. I do think they've got some real challenges uh, just with the scale and the two pizza teams and some of the redundancy that we're hearing about that they're going to have to work through, right? I think this is going to be Slutsky's real challenge, right? What is he going to change to kind of, if you will, streamline some of AWS? And that's a big task. So I don't know. I don't have that answer. That's a job I don't want. Don't call me with that one. I'd I'd have no idea where I would start. So I think those are going to pull even. And then, you know, I think we should leave on a wild card, right? Google just remains this fascinating wild card. Like they have invented all of this AI technology. They probably have even more behind the scenes. They consistently have one of the greatest internal developer experiences that anyone ever talks about. Everyone that works at Google is just leaves and tells you like, you're not going to believe the developer experience that you can do at Google. Like in one day you can like see all the source code, make changes. They have all these different tools. So Inside of Google, you know, if you will, all this intellectual property exists that could be incredibly powerful. Um, if and you know, it remains to be seen. I know there's always the jokes killed by Google and stuff like that. Like, who knows? I guess it's like if we were uh, back to our sports metaphor, we just say it's a team with incredible talent, but we're unsure if they can ever, like, if you will, uh, show up on the field with it. So that's the one I'm really kind of fascinated by to see if they make a big move in the next three, three four years. But it'll be fun to watch and it'll be fun to podcast about. Yeah, I think the sports analogy I'd use for Google is sort of the sports analogy we use when we talk about like coaching trees, which means like this legendary coach was great. And then his assistant coaches went on to be the head coach somewhere else. Were they <laughs> successful? I feel like Google has so many people that we get pinged down by PR people or we look at projects and they're like, well, we used to have it at Google. And you're like, okay, was it successful anywhere else? Did it work? You know, like is the world all adopted SRE as their way of doing it? And, you know, like, so there's, there's a lot of those, uh, but yeah, no, I think they're, they're the wild card. I mean, the, the other thing about all this is all three of those companies have so much money that if they really, really want to, uh, you know, they they can, you know, they can push their chips in and, and be a bigger player than they are. I just I feel like they're also part of gigantic conglomerates that that have other priorities and stuff. So it, it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, thank you for uh, for number one. Thanks for filling in. We really, really appreciate it. But number two, thanks for filling in in our first, uh, you know, company versus company. We'll see if this format, uh, you know, takes hold with people, if they like it, if, if we get uh, cease and desist orders from Amazon and Azure for, you know, quoting Gartner, maybe we'll get a cease and desist from Gartner on this. But I think, I think we did everything above board. Uh, we'll probably get some, you know, we'll probably get some feedback, but uh, yeah, let us know if there's other companies you would like to hear us uh, do the tail of the tape for. I'm sure we could uh, talk Brandon into, uh, into doing that as well. So listen, man, with that, uh, thanks for helping. As always, uh, really appreciate it. Folks, uh, with that, I'll wrap it up. I'll let Brandon go. He's, uh, I know he's been doing a couple of shows back-to-back. His voice is probably going to give out on him. But thank you all for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for sending us feedback on the show. And uh, again, if you're AWS or Azure uh, product manager and you're upset about something we said, uh, show at thecloudcast.net. You can drop us a line. We'd be happy to talk about it and uh, maybe even make you a guest on the show. So with that, I'll wrap it up. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 